0: Good evening, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm very honored to be a part of uh, this conference, uh, to be a a part of the Go Conference. It's uh, one that I've been praying for and excited for for many months. Uh, It's something that obviously I'm very passionate about, which is reaching uh, all the nations uh, with the gospel, which is our call, uh, and so what? What I would like to do uh, in our time that we have right now is obviously this. This conference all about is all about reaching the nations, and, and and that God's heart is for the nations, and where our role, what our role is in fulfilling that mission. But what I would like to do, and the reason I'm going to Ephesians chapter two is, I'd like to start first of all here at home. Uh, And then really even more specifically, I'd like to start uh, with our hearts, with your heart, with my heart, because I, I really believe that the foundation and the fuel for mission is a proper understanding of the gospel of grace. The grace of God infiltrating and wrecking and just transforming our hearts is what is is what will compel us to go. And so that's why I want to start here in, in, in Ephesians, probably the masterpiece uh, chapter laying out the gospel. So if you bow your head with me, I want to just pray over this, and, and, and we're going we're to dive in. Father, I thank you, God, for already the incredible message we have heard. Lord, that we are called to trust you at your word and we do trust your word we believe that your word as you say of it that it that it accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent and that it does not return void and so lord we open our hearts to you now and we ask god that like water that falls on the ground and produces fruit lord that your word would fall on fertile soil in our hearts that we would not just be hearers of this word, but doers of it. That you'd open our eyes again to the majesty of the good news, Lord, that we have embraced by your grace and that we are called the herald. And Lord, may that news give us a heart of compassion for those who don't deserve our love, for those who are not like us, for those who are separated just as we once were from you. So Lord, be glorified in this time. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I believe that our, what we ought to do as followers of Christ is we ought to always remember the gospel. We start with the gospel. That's where I'm going to start. And then I think if we do remember the gospel, then it's going to move us as I said in my prayer, I believe to love people who, who don't deserve our love, who, who we think, who, who normally we wouldn't love. And that if you really do love, then you will be compelled to count the cost and to get uncomfortable and then to go. So that those three ideas, remember, remembering the gospel ought to cause us to love, and truly loving ought to cause us to go. And so let's start with the gospel Remember, Ephesians chapter 2, the gospel really, uh, Paul here starts with the bad news. And in order to understand how good the good news of the gospel is, you got to first get how bad off we were before Christ. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so what, what he starts with is, hey, remember this. Remember that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. It doesn't say that you were just sick in your sin. A sick man can go get some medicine or can go see a doctor, can do something for himself. What is Paul trying to lay down on our hearts is this. Man, you were dead, meaning you did not have a spiritual pulse in you. It's totally owing to God's grace. A dead man can do nothing for himself. A dead man must be resurrected by someone from the outside so that's what's trying to be shown to us here in this passage, that from the time of the garden when Adam and Eve did not trust God in His Word, that if you eat from this tree, you will die. They ate from the tree, and Romans teaches us from that moment, sin and death spread to all mankind so that every one of us are born physically alive, but spiritually we are flatlined. You must be made alive. On top of that, even let's say you had a spiritual pulse, he's going to go on to say, which you don't, but even if you did, he's going to say that you were dominated by this prince of the power of the air, the enemy of God, who is at work blinding the hearts of unbelievers from responding to the gospel. And on top of that, we carried out the desires of our flesh. Every one of us has a sin nature that we inherited at birth that drives us away from God, to just running after our own lusts and our own desires. So we hear this, man, Christ came to set you free. Well, what did he come to set you free from? He didn't come to set you free so that you can go do whatever you want. He came to set you free from doing whatever you want. We were enslaved to doing whatever our flesh lusted after, wanted to do. We That's what we ran after. Christ came to set you free to do what he wants. And when you align your life with his will, that's where true purpose and joy comes. On top of all of that, as if that's not bad enough, the worst news is the very end. It says you are by nature children of wrath. That doesn't mean that we're wrathful people. It means children destined for wrath. Because God is a holy and just God who must punish sin, All of us who are born in rebellion, in sin, separated from God, have the wrath of God bearing down upon us. And so Jesus didn't come into a neutral world. He came into a world that was completely in rebellion. All of us were enemies of God. And John chapter 3 says he didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. It goes on to say at the end of John chapter three that whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life, but whoever does not believe in the Son does not have everlasting life, but the wrath of God, and hear this word, remains on him. So there's two types of people in this world. Those who still have the wrath of God remaining upon them from birth, and those who merely by the grace of God have been removed from the wrath of God into the favor of God. And so friends, what I'm trying to say, I might be up here going, wait a minute, you might be thinking, man, I already know all that stuff. And I'm telling you, we have to constantly keep our minds on who we were and the grace that we've received because it changes the way we view others. And I'll never forget speaking at a uh, missions conference to a group of pastors right after Osama bin Laden had been uh, assassinated murdered. Two two days later, uh, I'm at this conference, and and essentially I said that you could hear a pin drop. I said, man, what I'm trying to say is if the Apostle Paul were with us today, and he heard about Osama bin Laden's death, he wouldn't have run down to the White House and high-five and hoop and holler and celebrate. I believe the Apostle Paul would have fallen on his face and said, thank you, God, that when I was Osama bin Laden, you know his story? He, hunted, he was on his way to Damascus to hunt down Christians. When I was Osama bin Laden, you had mercy on me. Now, I'm not trying to condone Al-Qaeda or terrorism or ISIS, but all I'm saying is, man, when I remember that I was separated from God, that, that man, I was dead, that I was dominated by my flesh, that I was his enemy— When I remember those things, I forfeit the right to celebrate anyone dying. I don't care how much of an enemy they are. I I forfeit the right to celebrate their death apart from knowing Christ. I can't do it. And so he's saying remember who you were and then verse four, the two words, in the very beginning of verse four, the two greatest words maybe in this entire book, look what it says, but God. And friends, if we don't have but God, we are completely doomed. We're hopeless. But God, because of his Rich mercy, because, he, because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Goes on to say, by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Romans says this, that the gift of God is Jesus. He is the gift that God has put as a propitiation, which that word means, a sacrifice that bears the wrath of God and thereby turns the wrath of God into the favor of God for all who put their faith in Jesus. Jesus. And so because God, being rich in mercy, because of who he is, and he moved in his love for you, and he offered his son as a propitiation, because of that, through faith in Christ, you can move from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And I'm just saying, if if you ever get kind of calloused or maybe just kind of commonplace with that message, we've forgotten the majesty of that message. It ought to completely stun us every moment of our life that we have been given this grace. But I'm here to tell you, it's important because we're forgetful. And being forgetful, we take our eyes off of the cross and we start thinking about our own life, we start thinking about our own needs, and we start thinking about A, number one. But when you put your eyes on the cross... Entitlement goes out the door and you start thinking about others. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul does it this way. He says, count others more significant than yourself. Put the interest of others before your own. And he knows you'll never do that. I'll never do that in my own strength. And so what does he do? He says, look at the gospel. He says, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was equal to God, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be held onto, to be grasped onto, but he emptied himself and he came in the form of a bondservant and he became obedient to God all the way to the point of the death of the cross. So he's saying, the way that you're going to put others before yourself and not just think about your comfort, your safety, and your own life and your needs is by always Keeping your eyes on the cross and what Jesus did for you. So I I travel and I I speak. I pastor a church in the Dallas area, Frisco, Texas. A church called Providence Church. But I get to travel and speak. And, you know, in that area, I, I travel a lot on Southwest Airlines, the Peanuts flight, you know. How many of you know Southwest, flown Southwest? Please tell me a lot of you have, all right. Do they still do Peanuts there? I don't know if they do. I think they do. But anyways... Everyone else got rid of their peanuts, but not Southwest. Southwest, to my knowledge, all right, is the one airline uh, that doesn't assign you a specific seat when you fly Southwest Airlines. Okay, you know the drill. How many of you know this drill? Okay, you, you, you show up, all right, you get, a, you get a, a ticket that's got a number, a letter and a number, okay? So A1 through 30, they board first. Then A, 31 through 60 boards, then B, 1 through 30, then B, 31 through 60, then C plus, C minus. That's the way it works, okay? All right, and so the A plus group, A, 1 through 30, they board first, and man, you can sit wherever you want. And I'm telling you, it's interesting to see people when they can pick their own seat. So they come on, and what are we going to do? We're going to sit at the very front of the plane, okay, and you're going to sit on the aisle because, man, it's all about me. I want to make sure I've got plenty of space in the overhead, and I'm on the aisle, and I'm the first one off. No one ever gets on there with like A1 and says, you know what, I think I'll sit at the very back next to the bathroom, all right? No one does that, okay? And so what do they do? They're going to fill in these aisle seats about maybe halfway down the plane, then that's kind of too far, and so then they'll start filling in the window seats, right? Okay, but no one sits in the middle seat, all right? The middle seat, you know, guys, that's like the middle urinal. You always leave a space, you know what I mean? Right? Ladies, forgive me, okay? But seriously, you got to leave that space, right? The middle aisle, no one sits there. That's where you put your stuff and you hope no one one comes to sit, right? So my point is this. By the time C minus come on the plane, they're looking at a plane full of available middle seats, okay? Now, here's the deal. The way you get an A plus ticket, you got to do something to earn it. You gotta either pay extra, or you certainly have to show up early or go online early and get your boarding pass. But if you skate in late to the airport, you go to the kiosk, you're destined for C-minus, right? So, here's the deal. One day, I was in the C-minus crew boarding the Southwest Airlines, and sure enough, I come on, and there's a, again, available middle seats, right? And this father and son in front of me were coming on board, and the father had the audacity to look at the lady sitting on the aisle seat, first row, and say, excuse me, ma'am, do you mind sitting in the second row in that middle, middle seat so I could sit here with my son? And she just went, oh. And like everybody in like the first three rows were like appalled, you know? And like, how dare you, Mr. C-minus, right? Skating in late and coming and asking me to move, right? Now again, she didn't say all that, her face said all that, right? And so sure enough, this guy was like, never mind, he just kind of moved on and asked somebody down the way. And I I just thought to myself, that was so interesting. And I go, you know, what if, what if the the way that she came about that A-plus ticket was completely different? And I'm not saying this could happen, but what if she missed her previous flight and she was begging the powers that be at Southwest Airlines, please let me on the next flight. And they said, sorry, ma'am, we're booked. And, man, in fact, the rest of the day we're booked. And she's like, no, I've got to get there. And she's just crying and begging them. And let's say somebody overhearing her, again, I'm not saying that you could do this. Go with me. Let's just say you could. And someone overhearing her comes over and says, you know what? She can have my ticket. And let's say that's how she got her A-plus ticket. Now enter father and son. Excuse me, ma'am, do you mind sitting in the second row and let me sit here with my son I'd be willing to bet she'd pop off that seat and say, it's yours. Why? Because man, I'm on the plane. You with me? I don't even deserve to be on the plane. I mean, I I would have sat with the luggage if they let me, you know? But I'm on the plane. You see that when you think, you, you forget, and somehow you think that maybe you've, you deserve what you have in your life or whatever, then, then somehow you, you, entitlement sets in. But when you remember the grace you've been given, it goes out the door and you'll put others first. And so friends, we must always be blown away and keep our eyes fixed on the cross and rooted in the gospel. And if you do, Look at Ephesians. The fruit of it, you're going to love people who you normally wouldn't even think about being kind towards. Ephesians 2 verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has brought down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility." But your fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I'm telling you, that ought to blow you away. The result of the gospel infiltrating the hearts of men and women is this. That two who were hostile to each other, Jew and Gentile, at enmity with each other, had nothing to do with each other, that these two are actually now in Christ made one. And they both have access to God. And in Christ, look at me now. The dividing wall of hostility has come down, and I'm telling you, if you've got the gospel, the look at me now, the dividing wall of hostility in your heart ought to be torn down, and your heart ought to beat with passion and excuse me, compassion for those who do not know Him. And so Jesus, when He died on that cross, and He said, "It is finished." The Bible says that there in the temple courts, the holy veil that separated the people of God from the holy of holies, the presence of God, only the high priest once a year could go behind that veil and make sacrifices for himself and the people. When Jesus said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, the Bible says that that veil was torn in two, and all of us not our head. We get that part of the gospel. We say, yeah, that, that, that veil has been torn in two because of the blood of Christ robing me, right, his righteousness, robing me, then I who am a sinful man now have access into the presence of God because of Christ's righteousness. But what's being taught here in Ephesians 2 is the dividing wall, excuse me, the veil isn't the only thing that came down, The dividing wall of hostility, and if you know this, in the temple courts, there was actually a dividing wall that separated where the Gentiles could come from where the Jews could go, and there was actually an inscription on that wall that said, if any Gentile passes this point, he only has himself to blame for his death, and the gospel... Tears the veil in two and brings down that dividing wall of hostility so that again, two who used to have nothing to do with each other, who hated each other, now he says this. What's amazing is this. Not only are they no longer strangers and aliens, now they are fellow citizens. And then he goes, no, 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 it's even more than that. They are family members actually, members of the household of God. And then he stops himself and goes, no, 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 it's actually even more intimate than that. They are actually bricks laying on top of each other, stacked up, making up the temple of God where he resides. Dependent on one another, intertwined, that's how the gospel makes a new people. And so I'm here to say look, before we talk about the nations, I'm about to go there with my last point. Do you get the grace of God? And if you do, does your heart beat with love for those who you normally would hate? That is the message of the gospel. I'll never forget my, uh, you know, if you know my story, I grew up a Muslim, became a Christian. My dad uh, essentially disowned me for being a Christian. And then he took me back in for a period of time. And in that time when we, we're kind of reconciled. He still wasn't a Christian. We're still praying for him, but we, we we would meet and talk and stuff. And this is many years ago. I'm at dinner with my Muslim father and my Muslim little brother, who's 12 years younger than me. Okay, and at that time he was in high school. Again, years ago, and he had just gotten beaten up by a a, a, a ringleader and, and, a, and a group of guys in his high school jumped him and beat him up. And at dinner, he just announces to me and and his father, my my, my father, just announces that they've already planned to retaliate. He and his buddies are going to jump this guy. They already know when and all this stuff. And he just kind of announces it. And we're like shocked that he's just being that open. And so I jump in, and I'm just more interested in his heart. And I go, bro, let me give you two options. And I'm not saying that either of these could happen. I'm just saying... Which would you rather have? Option one, you're able to beat him up. You maim him, let's say, for life, and you get away with it scot-free. That's option one. Option two, you forgive him. And he just looked up at me and was like, he knew where I go. He goes, and then I go, no, just stay with me. Let's say you forgive him. And again, I'm not saying this would happen, but what if in forgiving him, you totally change the kind of person he is? And man, he would turn into your servant at your beck and call. Anytime you wanted him, he'd say, I'll be there for you. Again, not saying it could happen, or it would happen. It could. But I'm just wondering, what should you rather have? And he just kind of shook his head and no, 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 no. I know where you're going with that, bro. No, not someone who's beat me up. And so my dad's looking at me like I'm speaking Greek, too, because he starts telling me how, you know, we're from Iran, so we're in the Shiite sect, and in the Shiite sect, there's a, Ali had two sons, and one of his sons was murdered, and so the other son went to Ali and said, can I get revenge? And he says, well, Allah will let you strike him one time. And so he goes, and he basically strikes him with a deadly blow, and he kills him. He's starts to tell me that's the way of Islam, and so, man, my heart's pounding, because I've been praying to invite my dad to this movie that had just come out, and I'd seen it a week prior... And so my heart's pounding. And so I look at my dad. I go, Dad, you know Mel Gibson just made this movie about Jesus? And he goes, yeah, I heard. He goes, I go, do you want to go see it with me? And he goes, sure, why not? Tonight? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess. Heart's pounding, right? He looks at my little brother. And he's like, you got anything going on? He's like, no. Next thing you know, I'm in the car with my Muslim father and my Muslim little brother driving to the movie theater to see The Passion, all right? Now imagine— the end of that movie, and I'm sitting between my Muslim father and my Muslim little brother, and then Jesus stands up, and he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and bless those who persecute you. And I'm sitting between my Muslim father and my Muslim little brother, and I'm just like going, yes! That's the message that this world desperately needs to hear. And ISIS and the, 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 uh, you know, extremism, all this is coming and saying, we're coming out to kill our enemy, and we need to mount up as soldiers of Christ and say, we're going out to love our enemy. That's the message the world doesn't know. And it's the message that changed my life. Jesus goes on, by the way, to say this, "Um, if you only love people who love you, what more do you do than the tax collector? In other words, guys, if you're going to only love people who deserve your love, hey, pat yourself on the back because you've just come up to the level of the rest of the world. You haven't done anything uniquely Christian until you love someone who hates you. You haven't exemplified the gospel until you love someone who doesn't deserve your love. And so I'm telling you, if you remember, you will love. And if you love, you're going to go. You're going to go. I'm telling you, you're going to go wherever God calls you. You're going to cross divides that you normally would never think about crossing. Going to the world, or maybe even, listen to me, going across your street. And you're saying, I'm going. I'm getting uncomfortable. Because now I've got this, I know what I've gotten in Christ, and man, my heart is beating with compassion, and the love of Christ is compelling me forward, and I'm going. And look what he does here. Look at Ephesians 3. Jump down to verse 6 now. Ephesians 3, verse 6. Paul now is talking about the mystery that the gospel are also heirs, all right? I'm just the gospel. The Gentiles, the, the mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles, excuse me, are also heirs. And he's been given the gospel as a stewardship to preach. And look at this in Ephesians 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Here's what Paul is saying. If you remember the Gospel, you're gonna understand Jew and Gentile, both knowing that it's only by God's grace that I have access, are gonna put aside their hostility and love one another. And if you get that, you're gonna know that God's heart is that the message would go to all Gentiles, all nations, all people. And listen to me guys, through the church, the church is the redeemed people of God among all nations. When that church is brought together the manifold wisdom of God, and what's interesting is the word manifold literally means multifaceted, like a diamond that has many faces that if you shine a light on, it sparkles. When Listen to me. When the church, diverse from all nations, comes together in love and unity, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers in the heavenlies. His glory is just... It shines out and he's magnified. And so if you know the gospel, you're going to love, and listen to me, you're going to go. Because you know, as, as, as David already said, that the gospel in its very nature is a sending gospel. God comes to, Gen- uh, to Abraham in Genesis 12. Leave your father, and I get that, by the way. Leave your father, leave your country, and go to a land that I will show you, and I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a great nation, and as many as the stars are, so will your descendants be. But the greatest promise he made to Abraham is in you, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's not going to be just about you and your tribe, Abraham. I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing to others. And through you, your ultimate descendant, Jesus, my message of salvation is going to reach every people group. And so Jesus comes in John chapter 10, and he says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. And then what does he say to the Jews that are looking at him in his day? Listen to me. I have sheep that are not of this fold, and I must draw them also so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. What is he saying? But it's not just for you. If you get it, you're going to go to the other folds so that all the sheep would be brought in. And then in Acts chapter 10, when Peter is sitting on that rooftop and he has a vision and the sheet comes down with all kinds of animals in it, both clean and unclean, and he hears the voice of the Lord saying, Peter, take, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I will not touch what is common and unclean. And right then there's a rap at the door and a Gentile man, who for a Jew, that's unclean. I mean, you don't go hang out with a Gentile. A Gentile man has had a vision, Cornelius, and he sent for Peter. And so Peter's connecting the dots. Don't call what I have made unclean. Listen to me, look at me now. Everyone made, created by our creator is made in his image. Don't call what I have made common and unclean. And so Peter walks into a Gentile man's home and he preaches the gospel, baptizes them. He goes back to Jerusalem and the Christians there in Jerusalem, they actually rebuke Peter for preaching the gospel to Gentiles. How dare you preach that gospel to them? And Peter says, if they receive the Holy Spirit in the same manner that we did, who am I, listen to this, to stand in God's way? That's God's way. And my favorite verse there in Acts when it says the church fell silent and they glorified God because they understood that the message of the gospel is not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. And listen to me, when that corner was turned, the mission was birthed and it spread all throughout the world and we today are the beneficiaries of it, that the gospel is not just for you but for every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's where it ends up in Revelation 7. Every people, every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne of God in one voice declaring out loud salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Not to us, but to you. And so my heart says, God send me. I'll go where you call me. And I'm just wondering if we've forgotten that. Listen to me, guys. If you, listen, forget racial or national divides. The greatest divide ever is holy God, are you with me, and sinful man. And the gospel that we cherish says this, that again, Philippians 2, Jesus didn't stay in his comfort zone, if you will, And he came into our broken world and came as a servant and was despised and rejected and abandoned and spat upon and beaten and crucified for you and me. And so I'm saying when you and I, when we get uncomfortable and we cross divides of race or nationality or even hatred, I'm saying in that act you are living out the gospel. And so you, you and I, have we forgotten this? That's why we're here. And so I'm saying to you, go to the nations. But I'm also saying we live in a very unique time. Every eye on me. A very unique time. When you're to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, guess what? The ends of the earth have invaded our Jerusalem. Have you looked around? In DFW, I saw a stat in Dallas-Fort Worth that um, something like 400 people a day are immigrating to the DFW area, and of that 400, 70% of them are foreign-born, just infiltrating our area. And I'm wondering, have we forgotten why Christ left us on this planet? There's a couple of things that happened recently that have really moved my heart. Made me passionate about what I'm preaching to you tonight. One local in my area and one national. You'll know the national one. The local one is uh, the good people of Farmersville, Texas. Right down the street from my church, actually. They're all up in arms because the Islamic Association of Collin County has sought to build a cemetery, a Muslim cemetery, there in Farmersville. And their plan is, on top of that, to build an Islamic learning center. And so one pastor stood up and essentially, I'm not making this up, said, no, if they're allowed to build that, then more Muslims will come to our area. And I'm like, what is your calling, man? Why are you even here? And one brother had his heart broken over how not everyone but some were responding and he had called me to come. I was in a town hall meeting a few months ago speaking to the people of Farmersville and basically sharing my story which I'll share a little bit of it with you in a moment. And then of course the national one is the Syrian refugee crisis. That obviously became major news, obviously what, three, four months ago. And I don't want to, listen, I know it's a sensitive subject and I know I'm here to preach about going to the nations, but hear me, again, if we don't have a heart of compassion for people who are cut off from Christ right across from our street, forget going to the nations. So just bear with me really quickly on this. I know it's a hot topic, I know it's sensitive, and I know there's not a clear-cut answer. But... Obviously, some Christian leaders have even stood up and said that, you know, have hinted that, you know, we should close the borders, not even hinted, close the borders completely to Muslims, all Muslims. And some have hinted that maybe even it's a good idea to to even deport some Muslims, or at least make them have a card to identify themselves. I mean, all kinds of stuff that you're hearing now. And so I was asked to go um, to Washington, D.C. to be on a panel on Capitol Hill with Russell Moore of the ERLC, a uh, lady who heads up World Vision that settle, resettles uh, refugees, and the uh, State Department Special Advisor for Religious Minorities, and then Afshin Ziafat, Pastor, Frisco, Texas, right? So I'm like, Why? what do they want me here for? Well, I, they all share the policy side, and I just kinda, this is what I said. I wanna say it to you, that look, I know as an American, I want my government to protect me. That's what their calling is, that they're to protect us. And I want them to be very wise and think about who is coming in and vet these people very thoroughly. And listen, we can debate forever on whether or not our government can even do that or not. And and, okay, I know that. But I'm just here to say, this is what I said, that as a Christian, my heart just cannot move towards categorically and completely closing the borders and turning my back on people who are hunted down brutally by ISIS and who are separated from Christ. I have an obligation, but also I have a mission, and I gotta think about both, not just protection. My obligation, the scripture is clear that we are to take care of the sojourner and the foreigner, especially the widow and the orphan among them. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And they're going to say, when did we do that for you? And he's going to say, when you did it to the very least of these, you did it for me. But then, that's obligation. What about opportunity? And that's, what I, that's why I think it ties in with what we're doing here tonight. The opportunity that is given to us. Have we forgotten the mission that God has placed upon us? our shoulders to go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so listen to me, I get, I get it. I was born in this country when I was two. We moved to Iran, are you with me? When I was six, the Islamic Revolution hit that country, and we fled Iran to seek refuge in America. And we didn't know what we were getting into in America because all of a sudden the Iran hostage crisis hit and a group of Americans were held hostage in Iran for over a year. And so people in Houston, Texas threw rocks through our window in Houston because they knew we were from Iran. My parents' cars' tires were slashed. Older high school kids threatened to beat up my brother and I. I was in the second grade, and I share this not to throw a pity party, but just to say, I get it, living in this country and being from a region that, man, we're suspicious of. Or maybe we hate. But I'm so thankful one Christian lady got this gospel. She was my tutor, and my family approached her and they paid her extra to meet with me after school and read me books. And she said, I'm in. And she did it. She loved me, poured herself into me, taught me English. In the second grade, she said, Afshin, now I want to give you the most important book you'll ever get. And she handed me a small New Testament. She said, Read this when you're older, because you won't understand it now. And ten years later, that New Testament is what I opened and read, and that's how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying, I'm so thankful that one Christian in Houston, Texas looked at that Iranian family and didn't see threat, but saw opportunity. Said, I'm going. I'm going. And so we cannot applaud missionaries who have the proper eternal perspective, and they risk their lives to go to lands where there is hostility towards the gospel. We have, yeah, good job. You know that you've got a short life here on earth anyways, and man, you've got a good, proper, eternal perspective that, man, for all eternity, that's what it's going to be about, worshiping him, and you're going out. And even if it's risky, and we're applauding them, but then all of a sudden when the mission field comes to our Jerusalem, we want to board up our houses and say, no, no, get out. You can't do that. You can't just think of protection. You gotta say, man, why am I even here? John 17, Jesus says, the world will hate them and they don't belong to the world. Speaking of the disciples, praying to the Father. So what does he say? Not get them out of the world. This is what he says, protect them from the evil one. You, You know what he's praying? That when the persecution hits them, that their faith won't be shaken. But don't take them from the world. God, I don't pray that you take them from the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. But as you sent me into the world, I send them. And why was, by the way, why was Jesus sent into our world? To seek and save the lost. And so that mission drove him. And so he's going to Jerusalem, and he tells his disciples, I'm going there to suffer, die, and rise again. And Peter stands up and goes, no, 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 no. That will never happen for you. And he says, get behind me, Peter. Get behind me, Satan, excuse me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. You've forgotten what God has called me to. I'm, I'm here to go to Jerusalem. What are you talking about? To suffer, die, and rise again. Because there's something more important than preserving my life, Jesus says. I have a mission God's given me. Paul, Acts chapter 20. I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, I know what's coming for me is imprisonment and affliction, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, but only that I would fulfill the calling that God has given me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. What's Paul saying? My life is not even the ultimate value. The ultimate value is the mission God has given me, and His name being proclaimed among all nations. That's ultimate value for the Christian. The goal of a Christian should not be so that that by any means possible, I would extend my days. The goal of the Christian is that, man, by any means possible, I would spend every one of my days fulfilling this mission that God's given me. And so, look, some of us, yeah, we may have to lay our life down. But probably 90-something percent of you us in this room will never have to do it become a martyr. I don't know. You may, but all of us are to be like that to say, look, I do not count my life of any value. That's not the ultimate value. The ultimate value is God. This mission. That look, I'm standing here in a crazy world. But I look backwards, and I see the gospel, and I remember who I was, and I look forward, and I see eternity, every tribe, tongue, and nation around that throne, and that helps me navigate my present, that I'm here to go to every nation. And so those terrorists, man, they leave those terrorist camps, and they actually make a video. Do you know this? I've seen it on the Al Jazeera network, some of these terrorists, it's blurry, right? But they make this video saying, this is what I want done with my family, with my belongings. Here's how I want my funeral to flow. (laughs) They make that video before they leave and go to the west. Why? They're saying, I'm not coming back. I'm dying. And by the way, they've reckoned themselves dead, and we know that a terrorist that has already reckoned himself dead is very dangerous. Now, what he's going to do is not the Christian part, but actually the first part is very biblical. Stay with me. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I'm already dead. What are you going to do to me? The life, I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's Christ living through me. And again, as David said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that kind of person is dangerous in the hands of God. And that's what our calling ought to be. And so I'm asking you, will you pray and say, God, wherever, I'll go. Again, some of us, are you with me? Look at me, overseas, he's calling you. Get uncomfortable and say, Go. I'm going. But all of us across the street. Are you new to this country? Are you new to this area? I'd love to have you over for dinner. I'd love to help you set up a bank account. I'd love to help you. If you want to learn how to go get groceries, maybe you don't know how it works here. I'd love to go with you. All of us are called to go there. And so I'm going to say one last thing, and I'll pray. One of my, the messages I'm very passionate about is, is from the book of Jonah. I'm not going to say a lot. I think you might hear about it later this weekend. So let me just say this, and I'll be done, because I want to start with uh, end where I started, your heart. And Jonah, and this will be the last thing, and I'll pray. Just hear this: Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel. I mean, to preach the message God gave him. And we know that the Assyrians. Amos has already prophesied will one day conquer his people. And we know that they're gruesome people from reliefs that we've uncovered that dismembered their captives of war. So this was ISIS. And so you know what happens? Jonah says, no way, and he runs. And you know the story of the big fish. God U-turns them, brings them back. He preaches the message, and Nineveh repents, and God doesn't destroy them. Jonah chapter 4, what happens? Jonah is ticked off at God. This is why I ran, God, because I knew you were a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The very characteristics that saved his rear end, now he's ticked off that it's extended to the enemy. And he says, that's why I ran. So God appoints this plant, covered him from the sun, give him shade, and then he appoints a worm to eat up the plant. And then again, Jonah's ticked off at God. And God says, you're pitying this plant you had nothing to do with should my heart not pity these 120,000 people in this great city made in my image and you know what question mark end of book <laughs> you don't get the answer from Jonah why cuz i think the answer goes to every one of us who call ourselves followers of christ should our hearts not beat with pity and compassion for those who were just where we were before Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, and let's pray. Father, we love you, we thank you God for your word. I thank you for Ephesians two and three. I thank you Jesus, that you have made a way for us by your grace alone to be reconciled to a holy God. Though we were cut off and though we were enemies, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is how you demonstrate your love for us. While we were your enemies, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And God, let that be the way we demonstrate love to others. Not waiting for them to earn it. And God, may that kind of love say, God, I'll go. I'll get uncomfortable where you're calling me, where you're quickening my heart to go. The neighbor, the person I'm suspicious of, God, here am I. Send me. We love you, Jesus. We praise and worship you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.